Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Um, so every attempt at um, learning something is in some ways could be understood as an attempt of sorting out chaos. When we don't know something, uh, the, the thing that we're trying to learn about um, appears to us to be like a chaos, chaotic. And so as we learn about a thing, what we really do, we're creating order out of chaos. Uh, anything we learn. Uh, and more we learn about a thing, more orderly the thing becomes. Um, so what I'm going to attempt to do here tonight is to create, put few things in order. <laughs> Um, ahimsa is the subject matter of this discussion and uh, to get that out of the way I will first read the, um, the dictionary the Sanskrit dictionary of um, uh, the uh, uh, Sanskrit dictionary definition of what ahimsa is and uh, I got this from a friend of mine who's actually uh, he was a student, but now he's become a teacher of uh, Sanskritam. And this is what he wrote to me in email. That uh, the word ahimsa comes from datu, Sanskrit words, they come out of roots. Uh, they have roots. Um, datu means a root. Uh, han, han or hana, which means to kill, to destroy. Um, to strike uh, han, himsa. Himsa gatayo, to strike, to kill, to go, or move. And he said that first derivatives mentioned in the Vedas, um, not to go into it right now, but uh, first derivatives mentioned in the Vedas uh, give example of himsati as a verb. Himsati meaning um, causing harm. And uh, himsa, feminine noun, injury, harm, harm to life or property, hurt, mischief, wrong. Uh, and then uh, the himsa could be mental, as bearing malice, could be verbal, as abusive language, uh, and personal, as acts of violence. And then, of course, tonight we're not going to discuss himsa, but ahimsa. <laughs> Uh, which means opposite to this, uh, opposite to violence. Uh, so when adding the prefix a or a, which indicates the oppositeness, which is actually an English word, uh, or difference, the meaning is not injury or harmlessness, we could say. And now to get the other thing out of the way, this is the uh, English dictionary definition of the term violence. Uh, it's a noun, behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. I thought this was rather interesting. So it's a behavior involving physical force 
uh, intended to hurt. In other words, there could be a physical force which is not intended to hurt. But the, if the intention is there to hurt, then this, we would call this violence. Or in um, our terminology tonight, uh, himsa. So ahimsa is exactly the opposite. Now this is, ahimsa is a, it's one of the basic uh, spiritual principles. Uh, why spiritual? It's a basic civilized, it's a, it's a principle, basic principle of a civilized life. Uh, ahimsa, that the person does not be violent. Um, now, what violence is, it, or himsa, appears to be, uh, or non-violence, uh, or ahimsa, at first seems to be a very easy thing to understand, uh, at first. But once we get into it, we see that actually it can become uh, quite difficult to discern what himsa or ahimsa is, what, <coughs> what violence or non-violence is. Um, why would it be difficult? Um, if we go back to that English dictionary uh, definition of violence, it's a behavior involving physical force intended to hurt. But what if it's physical force that's meant to prevent hurt? What if it's physical force we could, which presents itself uh, externally as violence? We could imagine a situation where uh, an act of hurt, a physical hurt, prevents a whole lot of other hurt. Then that kind of action which is meant, uh, which appears to be hurtful, but it prevents hurt, actually is non-violence. Uh, can I have some examples? Can anyone think of an example, perhaps? Otherwise, I'll have to. <laughs> uh, I think he had his hand first. At least I saw it first. Could you speak up so that... Uh... Oh, we also have a mic. Okay, good. It's right here. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna induces Arjuna to fight in the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Okay, that's a good example. All right. Yeah, because that was uh, the cause for establishing yes. religious principles. Mm -hmm. Very well. So we have right there in the Bhagavad Gita, we have the example of Krishna asking Arjuna to use force, which appears to be violence, which uh, Srila Prabhupada, in the days when Srila Prabhupada was in this country, um, presenting and teaching Krishna consciousness, he had a lot of people who couldn't understand, especially back then. Uh, there was a lot of peace-loving fellows. I hope there's still a lot of peace-loving fellows. <laughs> um, but people back then were especially sensitive to it because of the Vietnam War, etc., etc. Uh, not to go into the history right now. So... Uh, to many people, Bhagavad, the idea of Bhagavad Gita was repulsive because they couldn't get past this initial uh, violence. Any other examples? Yes, sorry, I already forgot. This is not a spiritual example like Good. that. But, like, for example, if someone were to break their arm 
and it's not setting properly. A doctor will actually have to break the arm again oh, and then well. reset it. Thank you. You helped a lot here. Um, did you all hear this example? If someone breaks an arm um, and, uh, and the doctor has to reset the arm because it didn't heal right, the, the bone didn't join uh, the way it's supposed to, and then the doctor has to break the bone again <laughs> so that the bone could be set in place properly. That's a very painful example. Okay, the last one, and then we'll move on because um, I'm against the clock and I want to get a few things in. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi was the leader or um, the one who defined ahimsa, mm -hmm. and he applied in real life principles. And he applied? In real life. In real life. In getting freedom for India. He was instrumental, at least he tried. Uh, but could we stay focused on the question? The qu I asked the question. Uh, we can discuss all of that afterwards, as soon as I make my presentation. Okay. But the question was asked for examples of when force, or what, uh, what appears to be violence or hurt, is um, enacted in order to realize nonviolence or prevention of hurt. So that was the question. And we, we got two examples here. Uh, I just closed the shop, but okay. <laughs> Self-defense. Okay, that's, that's also very good. Self-defense. Very well. Sometimes in self-defense we have to harm, not to be harmed. Okay, so uh, we could really go further, further into it. Things get really, really complicated. Now, on one hand, we're asked to practice ahimsa or nonviolence, but yet we have a hard time understanding what violence is or what nonviolence is. Uh, uh, so things get really complicated here. Um, yes. Um, we could also flip it around that uh, nonviolence that causes violence could hardly be called nonviolence. You follow? If violence that causes nonviolence is nonviolence, then nonviolence that causes violence is actually violence. You follow? <laughs> Hope I'm not confusing everyone. Uh, any examples of this? There's a mic right behind you. You might see uh, someone engaging in uh, some abuse and just passively turn a blind eye or uh, seeing animals being abused. Correct. And just deciding, I'm not getting involved because I don't want, but you're enabling and you're participating because you have not yeah. prevented it. Yeah. You become part partisan of the ignorance and the violence because inaction. Very well. Thank you. I think we're moving on very well so far. Um, why did I write this? <laughs> In, initially, I was saying that uh, uh, an act of knowledge is actually an act of sorting out chaos, turning chaos into order. And I prepared this presentation on the train all the way here, and there was a huge chaos in my head. So that, that sentence came from my, my experience of trying to sort out my thoughts. Um, 
And I let me try to um, uh, decode this one. <laughs> um, oh, relatively easy to this. Oh, this is also very interesting. Uh, that it is relatively easy to disguise himsa or nonviolence as as violence. Uh, okay, I guess I'll explain that really quick. Uh, consequentialism. There's there. We all morally reason all the time. Morally reason means that we very often find ourselves in a situation where we try to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. That's moral reasoning. And one system of moral reasoning is called consequentialism, where you understand the value of an act, not just by the act itself, but by the consequences of the act. And we just spoke about that. We gave examples of when violence is actually nonviolence, and nonviolence can be, can be violence. Um, uh, opposite to it, we could say is, um, uh, what's the term? Um, uh, deontology, I think the term is, deontology. Um, deontology states that the value of an act is, moral value of an act is found in the act itself. And people who profess this, they say that you should never be uh, violent. You should never uh, um, be hurtful towards anyone or anything. You should never tell a lie. Uh, but uh, consequentialism says, well, if you don't tell a lie and that causes a lot of harm, you should have lied under circumstances, let's say, that no harm will come to you. Uh, then you're morally... And in the, in the Vedic scriptures, there, there are plenty of examples of this. There are plenty of... There is in Mahabharata, example of a Brahmin in whose ashram a person ran and asked the Brahmin who, Brahmin who took a vow to never tell a lie, to always speak the truth, which is, you know, a decent vow to take. <laughs> um, uh, and he asked the Brahmin to hide him. Why? Because there are decoids behind him wanting to kill him. Uh, and then so he hid him. And then the uh, decoids came into the ashram and asked, have you seen a person running through? Yes, I have. Where is he? He's right there. <laughs> um, and apparently, uh, apparently this Brahmin, the result of his um, truthfulness, uh, sent him straight to hell. Now, whether he went to hell or not, but... Uh, these are just details, but the message is that uh, at times we also have to consider consequences. But sometimes in the name of consequences, people commit violence. Uh, there are many uh, instances in, in religious history, not only in, in Hindu or Vaishnava religious history, but in, in all religious history, there's so many examples of people, of people who committed violence in the name of higher values. If, if you continue to do this, you're going to go to hell. And I'm going to prevent you from doing that by all possible means so you don't go to hell. There's nothing ho as horrible as going to hell, so that means I can do any horrible thing to you in order to prevent you from doing that. Uh, and then people blow themselves up and other people, and, and that's just gross examples. And there are so many subtle examples uh, where people in the name of higher values actually abuse other people. 
Uh, and now the interesting thing is, and we could, <laughs> it's not easy to, to tell, because it's not easy to tell what ultimate outcome is, violence or nonviolence. That's why uh, this is a very difficult subject matter. This is rather a difficult subject matter. Uh, and what's interesting that people of, but in Krishna consciousness, we would describe as people of an impure heart. Impure heart is a heart that does not consider itself a servant of a servant of a servant of a servant of God. Uh, uh, but it has a tendency to dominate people, dominate other people. That's a, that's a person who's prone to hurt, to, to be confused in, in themselves as to what is violence and what is nonviolence. And so throughout human history, throughout religious history, we have untold numbers, uh, number of, of examples of people committing violence in the name of nonviolence, committing hinsa in the name of ahimsa. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, we ought to, uh, at least I do, understand some of the atheists uh, and their process, how they became atheists, reaction to some really um, extreme religious behavior. Um, what about activists? I mean, uh, like, I'm not against vegans because I happen to be a vegan, but not, not philosophically just because due to health and other things, but I also don't want to... Uh, participate in, uh, in unnecessary harm, that's a whole other issue, but, uh, but uh, I have seen a fair share of vegan activists who uh, I would think went a bit too far, <laughs> and in the name of higher principles have actually practiced unnecessary violence. That's why I found this uh, definition in the English um, dictionary interesting. Behavior involving physical force intended to hurt. Uh, so it's, it's not supposed to be, uh, the ultimate result is not supposed to be hurting. Uh, okay. Mm. Where are we in all this? So in, uh, in the in the tradition of, in the Hare Krishna tradition, in the tradition of Krishna consciousness, uh, people who have a difficult time discerning these things and have a, um, are prone to violence and are prone to even unconsciously mask violence in the garbs of nonviolence, we call them Kanishta Adhikaris or, or Prakrita Bhakta. And they're described in our literature. This term prakrita bhakta is very interesting. Bhakta means that a person is spiritual. Not only spiritual, but it's full of devotion for God and all particles of God. Parts and parcels of God. Uh, that's a bhakta. So bhakta is a spiritual person. But the term is prakrita bhakta. Prakriti means material. means a, a, a materialistic spiritualist. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. Uh, and, and what's interesting that, that Krishna actually, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, for example, respects these kind of people. They all, they're also respectable. Uh, but we shouldn't be blind and think they're perfect. Uh, they're not perfect. And it's, 
It's an in interesting description of this type of consciousness or this type of person uh, as found in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, how many of you have read Srimad Bhagavatam? Okay. How many of you have Srimad Bhagavatam set or you own it? Okay. Um, is there anyone here that would like to have one but cannot afford it? You have. Okay. Give me your name. I'm a professional beggar. I'll try to get one for you. <laughs> I can't afford it either, but we'll get our begging bowl. Uh, so if anyone would like to sponsor a Srimad Bhagavatam set for this gentleman, we got it. Thank you. <laughs> this type, Srimad Bhagavatam is this fantastic literature that you buy once and you have it for generations. Not just have it, you read it. <laughs> um, sometimes people just worship books, but someone should tell them they're prim that's cool, but they should primarily be read. Um, okay, I gotta finish this. I just remember something funny from one religious family. Uh, so in the Srimad Bhagavatam, this Prakrita Bhakta or materialistic spiritualist is defined as a person who interestingly has devotion for God. Archayam Eva Haraye. That's a person who worships God. Pujitam uh, With great faith he does that. But not tat bhakti shu. But he does not have the same respect, same adoration for the devotees of God. And what's interesting, means, and, and he does not have the same type of adoration for everyone else. Uh, so... By studying Srimad Bhagavatam and Krishna consciousness in general, we get the concept that this is rather an elevated state of consciousness uh, and uh, uh, not an easy thing to, not a cheap thing, not something that's, that's achieved overnight. And, and whoever has tried, we constantly find ourselves tempted and very often we fail at these, at these tests where we actually exhibit violence towards other beings and we dominate. And there's so many examples of dominate. People dominate by fashion. Uh, I remember once I was getting these Bhagavad Gita sponsors, sponsored and I would go to, to hotels and motels and try to put them in. This was in 1999 in, in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I entered this one fancy schmancy place and I asked if I could, if they would let me place Bhagavad Gita's in their hotel rooms and the person didn't even look at me he just, <laughs> it was really funny he pulled up his sleeve and he showed his very expensive watch <laughs> that was his way of dominating me and just letting me get lost uh, that was a gross example but people very often dominate by uh, in varieties of ways so, let's say through fashion uh, and then some people think they ought not to be dominated by others, so they also get into the fashion business. Um, in other words, they're not interested in mere aesthetics, but there is this um, uh, vanity about it, that it has to be a certain brand or whatever the society currently values. Um, okay, um, second half of, of this presentation. Now, when we speak of values, 
we can speak of uh, absolute values and we can speak of relative values. And this is really important uh, because in one way, in one sense, we could say that relative values are, of, are no values. Uh, first of all, relative values are difficult to establish um, what they are because the situation changes all the time. And ultimately, they're, they're not values. For example, relative values. Uh, no, I won't go there. Uh, I, I want to finish this. So, um, in order for, like everything else, values manifest in a relationship to something. So if we speak of ahimsa, this ahimsa has to be related to something. And that something, if it's not of the absolute nature, then the relationship of ahimsa with that thing is also not of absolute nature. I know this may sound like a lot of gibberish, but I'll, I'll explain it in a, uh, in a sec. Um, uh, in the uh, in, uh, Bible is not... Uh, in the Bible, there's one book which is... Actually, there are two, but this one is pronounced of a philosophical nature because it raises this question, an existential question. And Jadweta Maharaj wrote a book, you may even have it here for sale, I'm not sure, um, available. Um, this book begins with the statement, vanity, vanity, it is all vanity. Vanity literally means emptiness, there is no value. Vanity means it's empty, it's hollow, there's nothing in it, no value, no substance. Uh, why? It's all vanity. Why is it all vanity? Uh, and then the author, unknown author of this book says, it's all vain. Why? Because everything comes, then everything goes. Uh, everything comes, and then it goes. You take birth, and then you die. Now it's day, then, then, then it's night. Now it's spring, then it's summer. Nothing stays. Uh, everything changes all the time. There's nothing permanent in it. Uh, whatever you think it has value in due course of time ha has no value. Uh, and uh, this is, and then, then the author of the book, unknown author, says, but I enjoy my garden. Uh, okay, you enjoy your garden, but that will also come to pass. What does that mean at the end? Again, everything turns into nothing. Uh, whether you lived good or not, if after you die you're no more, then really at that point it becomes obvious that everything you lived before is nothing. If, if everything results into nothing, that everything all along was nothing. Uh, that's why in Krishna consciousness we have certain concepts which are absolute. And without these concepts, we would, like everyone else, live for nothing. Sometimes people say, I live for my children. But if they also, they're also going to die. And if they die and there's nothing afterwards, there are no more, then they, they too lived for nothing. They also entered emptiness, came from emptiness and went into emptiness. Then why, then, then everything in between has no value. But in Krishna consciousness, we say, yes, there are values. Why there are values? Because there are eternal truths. What are, these, what are the eternal truths of Krishna consciousness? These are our claims. Uh, we claim that God is eternal. God exists and God is eternal. Soul does not die when the body dies. We as a person, as a being, continue to exist after the demise of the body. 
And that is an eternal truth. And we have a relationship with God which is based on bhakti, devotion. Now, existence out of, uh, out of this relationship, out of the, the capacity of this relationship, is, is, a, uh, is, is, is an existence which is incongruous to, uh, to who we are. And therefore, we try to. Um, uh, therefore, from this we, from this perspective, we understand all of the values. So, when we speak of violence, if we speak of nonviolence, we understand violence and nonviolence in these terms, in in the matter, um, in the capacity of these relationships. Otherwise, violence or nonviolence would again just be nothing. It may have some temporary, relative value which, by the way, cannot be discerned. There was a point in this country where, where it was legal and morally okay to kill a black person if you own the person, which is another bizarre thing we think nowadays. But back then, we didn't think like that. And the question is, what is the truth? Was it always bad, or was it just bad now, but it wasn't bad then? So some eternal truths have to exist. Otherwise, we live in chaos. There's no order. And so our eternal truths, again, is that there is God, Krishna, Supreme Personality of Godhead, eternally so. And we are souls, the servants of God, eternally so. Our relationship with God is based on bhakti or devotion, eternally so. And when we don't behave, think, feel, and, and act in this capacity, then uh, we would say in the Hare Krishna movement, you're in Maya. <laughs> Um, so at this point I would like to read to you um, oh, just one example from the Bhagavad Gita for example in the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita there are elements of uh, 20 how many are there I forget um, 24 elements of knowledge uh, and one of these elements um, did I Maicha uh, Ananya one of the elements is uh, surrender or dedication to the relationship with God, with, with Krishna. And Prabhupada writes, Mai Chananya Yogena Bhakti, quotes like that. The process of knowledge terminates in unalloyed devotional service to the Lord. So if one does not approach or is not able to approach the transcendental service of the Lord, then the other 19 items, looks like there's 20 of them, then the other 19 items are of no particular value. That's exactly what I just said. In other words, you could practice ahimsa or what not. But if this is not bringing you towards, your, towards the establishing of your relationship, your devotional relationship with God, then this ahimsa has no value. And as we're going to read now, uh, soon, can even be characterized as ahimsa. Uh, himsa. <laughs> what did I say? As violence. Okay, so here's Srila Prabhupada's definition of ahimsa. Srila Prabhupada, the founder and the acharya, as we would say, of the Hare Krishna movement. Ahimsa or nonviolence means that one should not do anything which will put others into misery or confusion. 
material activities that are promised by so many politicians, sociologists, philanthropists, etc., do not produce very good results because the politicians and philanthropists have no transcendental vision. They do not know what is actually beneficial for human society. Ahinsa means that people should be trained in such a way that the full utilization of the human body can be achieved. The human body, what's the full utilization now Prabhupada defines? The human body is meant for spiritual realization. So any movement or any commissions which do not further uh, that end commit violence on the human body. That which furthers the, the, uh, furthers the future spiritual happiness of the people in general is called non-violence or ahimsa. Uh, okay, I have two more quotes from Prabhupada. Uh, another one also from the Bhagavad Gita. Non-violence is generally taken to mean not killing or destroying the body. But actually, non-violence means not to put others into distress. People in general are trapped by ignorance in the material concept of life and they perpetually suffer material pains. So unless one elevates people to spiritual knowledge, one is practicing violence. One should try his best to distribute real knowledge to the people so that they may become enlightened and leave this material entanglement. That is non-violence. Uh, okay, one more and then we're done. Uh, also from the Bhagavad Gita. Ahinsa means not arresting the progressive life of any living entity. One should not think that since the spirit spark is never killed, even after the killing of the body, there is no harm in killing animals for sense gratification. That's wrong thinking. People are now addicted to eating animals, in spite of having an ample supply of grains, fruits, or, and milk. There is no necessity for animal killing. This injunction is for everyone. When there is no alternative, one may kill an animal, but it, should, but it should be offered in sacrifice. At any rate, when there is an ample food supply for humanity, persons who are desiring to make advancement in spiritual realization should not commit violence to animals. Real ahinsa means not checking anyone's progressive life. The animals are also making progress in their evolutionary, uh, evolutionary life by transmigrating from one category of animal life to another. If a particular animal is killed, then its progress is checked. If an animal is staying in a particular body for so many days or so many years and is untimely killed, then he has to come back again in that form of life to complete the remaining days in order to be promoted to another species higher of life. So their progress should not be checked simply to satisfy one's palate. That is called ahimsa. So ahimsa, here Srila Prabhupada says, also includes not only humans, but we should be non-violent towards all living beings. Why? Because again we understand there is God, and there are part and parcels of God, souls. They're eternally so. And, and the goal, the, the conclusion, the end chapter of the book called Krishna Consciousness or Spiritual Realization is that the person comes to this point of pure unalloyed devotion for God and all of 
God's particles. Or as they would say in Christianity, all of, uh, all of God's children. Um, so, ahimsa can be um, realized against others, gross or subtle, we mentioned that. Uh, can reflect in the diet, in our diet, unnecessary violence, etc., etc. Uh, but what's interesting in the bhakti literature of the Hare Krishna movement, we also find that one could commit hinsa or violence against one's own self. Namely, when one unnecessarily stops, uh, stops one's own spiritual progress. And uh, I chose two verses here from the Bhagavatam. And they both say the same thing. If you have all of these amazing facilities for spiritual advancement and you don't take advantage of them, such as the spiritual teacher, the, uh, the scripture, the, uh, the holy association, uh, spiritual communities, etc., etc., if you don't take advantage of, uh, of, of this, you're committing violence against your own very self. <laughs> um, How am I doing time-wise? I lost track. Another 17 minutes. 17 minutes. Um, okay. Uh, for just a presentation or the whole together with discussion? Okay. All right. So... But we might do a lot, so maybe two more minutes. Actually. Yeah. Um, okay. In that case... Um, Okay, I will say this. I will skip. Uh, no, I will say both things real quick. For example, in uh, in the Sanyasa Ashrama, for those of you know you do, you don't know, I apologize. I just want to get this out there. Um, in the Sanyasa Ashrama, Himsa is one of the prominent principles, very prominent principle. Especially from a Sanyasi, it is it is expected to be extremely nonviolent, uh, to really pay attention to this. Why? Because it's against the very nature of the soul. Now, ahimsa in other cultures, um, for example, in some interpretations of Christianity, it is stated if you, if you get slapped, you just turn the other cheek. You offer the other cheek, or you slap me on one, here's the other one, you slap me. <laughs> but you remain nonviolent. And what's interesting, uh, uh, Gandhi was mentioned here, and I'm going to get into trouble, uh, from Gandhi followers, perhaps. Um, Gandhi and Tolstoy, I don't know if we're Indians typically don't care that much about non-Indian authors, but uh, Tolstoy was, uh, was a genius, uh, literally genius. And Tolstoy, he was a Russian fellow, and Tolstoy and Gandhi were uh, pen pals, like pen pals. They were, they were friends, they were, I'm not sure if they ever met, but they, they communicated, and they both had the same concept. Um, which was an interpretation on the part of Tolstoy, interpretation of Christianity, on the, on the part of, of Gandhi, interpretation of, of Hinduism, which Hinduism doesn't really exist, or, or some Vedic concepts, is interpretation uh, of absolute non-violence. You're, you're just never, never, ever violent. However, in, in, um, in, uh, or forceful. In Krishna consciousness, we, we disagree with this. Uh, uh, why we say that that is a system, dualistic system, that whereas Vedic system is a monistic system. What's a monistic system? Not that we think that all is one, but monistic system is a system 
that says that um, in its pristine nature, everything is good. God created everything, and everything is there to be used appropriately. However, everything could be used inappropriately. A knife, example Prabhupada gave. A knife could be used for wonderful things or for horrible things. Is knife good or bad? Knife in and of itself has no, is not morally characterized. Uh, gun violence is, is not good, but gun in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Depends how you use it. <laughs> the human gives the... Um, so that is the monistic system. And therefore, we in the Bhagavad Gita, we find Krishna actually telling Arjuna to commit certain, what it appears to be violence, because that is going to enact uh, ultimately non-violence. Um, okay. Um, in Jain tradition, Jains, they, I'm, I'm not sure if they still do it, but uh, very often you can see Jains covering their mouths so they don't even inhale other creatures to, to prevent them from uh, even accidentally entering their mouths. Um, and then uh, something from post-modernity. Post-modernity is the, is the times that we live in. This is not modernity, this is uh, it's an academic term. Uh, we live in post-modern times that we live in. And, and what's interesting when thinking of violence and non-violence, uh, by the way, post-modernity is also known as liquid modernity. If you want to look it up, it's very interesting. Um, uh, modern people, especially modern youth, is very sensitive to hate speech. Uh, hate speech. Then there are these concepts such as safe spaces. That's a space where no violence takes place. Uh, not even the good violence. <laughs> Uh, my, they speak of microaggressions. Uh, uh, sometimes even difference of opinion is, is considered uh, violence, etc., etc. I just wanted to get it out, just in case if a conversation ensues from all of this. Um, so, to sort of conclude this, um, uh, Ahimsa is something that we ought to strive for and really, really, really is an important principle. However, exactly what is himsa and what is ahimsa can be very difficult to discern. And this is one of the reasons why in our system, Hare Krishna system, we have a system of authority that begins with the spiritual master. Uh, so in the consultation with spiritual master and other um, pure souls, uh, we venture into our existence trying to discern what is violence and what is non-violence. Okay, so I shall end there and um, ask for any questions or comments if there are any. Uh, how much time we have left? Until two o'clock. Okay, so I that I can see the clock. Oh, that was a kind. That was a kind act of non-violence. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, probably. Does this work? Yeah. What would just like, let's say I'm a, uh, I'm a devotee and I, I you know, have, uh, I do some puja at home and I go to work, etc. You know, that kind of grihasta life. What would a, a non-violent life look like in such a setting? or ahimsa life, in practical terms? Uh, in practical terms, uh, 
Well, Srila Prabhupada mentioned here, you know, gross forms of violence, like we shouldn't be violent towards animals, for example. Um, so that would reflect in our diet, that our diet is uh, not rooted in violence, or that we procure our food by uh, least violent means. I say least violent means because jivo, jiva, sajiva, nam, some or other God made it so that we eat organic stuff rather than inorganic stuff even though there is some inorganic rice apparently being made in China and sold plastic rice, if you didn't hear about that. <laughs> um, but you cannot subsist on plastic rice. So just the fact that we eat organic matter uh, requires some minimal form of violence. That's just the way life is in this world, which is a reason why we should clean on to Krishna and the transcendental process. No time to explain it all, but... Uh, so that's one thing that, that reflects in our, um, in our diet. But the point of Ahimsa really is that, that in all aspects of our existence we should not be violent. Uh, why? Because that is a great offense to the very uh, nature of who we are. Uh, if it is true that God exists and that God is eternal and we're spirit souls, and, and the relationship between God and all of the souls is based on bhakti or, or devotion, then violence is literally an offense against that very nature. So um, that's why we perceive it as evil. And if we're, um, if we're tuned to it, then uh, uh, we will always think, how, uh, we will always be attentive to avoid being violent. So I really don't want to just like restrict it to one gross thing or, or the other, but uh, um, the point is really that we have to turn our... As Srila Rupa Goswami describes Krishna consciousness, or for that matter, any spiritual process or tradition is a matter of cultivation. It's a dynamic thing where we ought to... In, you know, the easiest thing is just to identify with a group. And that's very often people identify with a group and they think... That's the way of spiritual advancement. But no, you still have uh, individual responsibility to understand things and, 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 and act on them. So this is one of the things that's um, tossed upon us <laughs> as a moral responsibility as we live in this world to not be violent for the reasons uh, before mentioned. Is that okay? Uh, he had his hand first and then we'll go over to you not to be violent. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So along the same venue as if you're a grahasta and you're trying to be Krishna conscious and you're also trying to support your family and maybe you have a 401k plan or you're investing your money, um, is it that you should do due diligence and investigate the companies to which you're giving money to support them, like a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, what have you. The money goes to McDonald's or Burger King or all kinds of crazy things. So how would you address that? <laughs> it's really, really complicated. I'll just give you one example that happened to me last year. Um, uh, I travel a lot and sometimes there's no one to pick me up at the airport so I have to sleep at the airport. I need a sleeping bag. Okay, my sleeping bag fell apart. I went to buy a sleeping bag and then uh, I thought that I should get a sleeping bag that, with down. You know what down is? That's, uh, 
feathers, but it's not the feathers. It's the it's the bottom part of the feathers. It's it's really soft and, and it's, it has amazing thermal properties. And uh, but then I learned, then accidentally it just happened so that I, 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 as I was looking for down sleeping bags, that there was a commentary on where do they get their down from? And when I read where they get their down from, that's, it's horrible. I mean, what they do? They keep these animals and they keep pulling feathers out of their bodies, you know. And then when the new feathers grow out, they pull it again. And I was thinking, wow, this is, these people are insane. And I thought, no way, I'm getting a plastic, you know, with pl uh, uh, synthetic fibers. A sleeping bag was, and then uh, as I looked, <laughs> sleeping bag with synthetic fibers, then an article popped about fracking. You know what fracking is? That's a system, that we, one of the systems by which you extract oil, from which you get synthetic uh, fiber. And that was really bad. <laughs> and I was left, you know, thinking, what should I do now? So we see that Srila Prabhupada also, to some extent, Srila Prabhupada, our spiritual master of this movement, he paid attention to these things. But you cannot allow yourself to go too far. Uh, why? Because you're, gonna, you're, you're going to get paralyzed. Or, even worse than that, you're going to forget what the goal of life is. Uh, so, therefore, we do our best. We do our best. Uh, um, but we do our best, and the thing is that we... Uh, this is really important, that the ahimsa is meant to, um, to help us spiritually progress. That, that we're actually beautiful, uh, spiritual, moral beings. That's the goal of Krishna consciousness. And that is the goal of Ahimsa. Uh, and, and the moment this trying to <laughs> practice Ahimsa takes us away from, from all of this, then it becomes useless. Uh, now, unfortunately, we live in, in some very interesting times where, anyways, in this world, it is nearly impossible to be completely nonviolent. Unfortunately, we see Jains, for example, wear a mask. How many of you would wear a mask? I don't. It's like, for God's sake, I couldn't talk myself into it. Yeah, they take the off, mask off to eat. And then again, it, it, what I'm trying to say is that uh, in, uh, Krishna consciousness is a spiritual process. Uh, it is a spiritual process. What does that mean? That means that in some ways cannot be completely defined in physical terms. Uh, very often Krishna consciousness is described as uh, bhava grahi janardana. This is the description of Krishna. Uh, so, uh, so that God is that beautiful person who is looking not precisely into the offering that we're making but the bhava or the attitude with which we're making this offering. So attitude, our attitude is the most important thing. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of cheaters who, who do all horrible things and they say, but I have a right attitude. <laughs> Yet there's a lot of spiritual practitioners. I believe, I believe in... I met one Christian, unfortunately, who believed in Jesus Christ but didn't follow a thing of what Jesus said. But it doesn't matter, but I believe. What's the value of your belief? So, um, again, the most important thing is our attitude. So we're trying our best. Uh, most important thing is attitude. But that attitude should not be abused. Did I... Is that okay? 
ஒன்ஸ் what's good what's bad what's good what's evil uh we begin to comprehend different elements that the situation is comprised of uh, but more we do this more dimensions of the situation we find and it becomes very very difficult in our in the hare krishna tradition in our uh, scripture there are these exercises by the way in, in the academic world these exercises are regularly being practiced where the uh, where the teacher will give a very morally problematic problem to the students and ask them then what is a moral course of action here what is a good course of action and then they reason back and forth back and forth and in this way they sharpen their wits their moral wits so similarly in our shastra we have so many in the beginning of the shrimad bhagavatam we have a discussion have you read the shrimad bhagavatam first canto okay so not yet but you have one you have one. okay the, so you buy one for him and one for yourself <laughs> oh you have okay that's that's very well good um i'm using a bit of violence here too <laughs> and and you have kindly uh, accepted it um we have the example of uh, krishna telling arjuna Uh, Ashwatthama has just murdered people while they were asleep and he told them that's a horrible sin you have to save him from sinful reactions kill him right now uh, but kunti devi said no and so krishna says do it kunti devi says no god says do it kunti devi says no please don't <laughs> uh, and arjuna had to morally reason and then he reasoned reason reason and he came with the with the conclusion So in this way we also have to reason 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 and that's why we have this association here so that we practice this reasoning and that's one of the reasons why in Krishna consciousness having a spiritual master is we could say compulsory Okay Yes and that's the last one if you please uh, if you don't mind yes I just wanted to say that it it uh, in Prabhupada's example he uh he he was very very focused on um using everything in Krishna's service as being the way and I know uh, for sankirtan devotees sometimes their feet got um 
hurt on the pavement by you know pounding the pavement for 40 hours a week and he would even allow them to wear leather shoes if that would help them continue to do the preaching and I remember also in the early days we used to drink uh, processed milk that we knew had the uh, vitamin A taken out or the cream taken out and they put fish oil in it and we told Prabhupada about it and he said well, we have to have Krishna needs milk, so we would buy it in those days and use it. And so I think the bottom line really is, first of all, contextual, you know, person to person. It's an inner heart search that we each have to do. And also, how can, it, you know, is it really essential for our Krishna consciousness? And uh, essential is another key word, you know. As far as your sleeping bag, that would be maybe something that redeems it. The principle is that the, the violence in it might be redeemed if it is being used in Krishna service. So maybe there's some benefit for those ducks who, who offer their duck down for a sleeping bag for a sannyasi to preach. Who knows? I did choose the duck down. <laughs> okay, thank you for attention thank and this opportunity. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much.